welcome to another episode of Link to the Cast, Technical Difficulties Edition. I am your party host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as always, on the couch beside me by the platforming prodigy, DJ Mark on the ones and twos. Hello, young David Ryan. It's been a fun morning of Windows 10 upgrades. Yeah, uh, it's been a fun morning of I'm still sick from the flu and yet was woken before 8 o'clock in the morning. For irony of ironies, the postman delivering a post box so that he won't have to wake us up to deliver boxes anymore. (laughs) Um, This was followed by me then falling back asleep when I should have been compiling the news because we're doing an early morning edition of the cast. Um, and, uh, yeah, and significant technical difficulties when my, uh, laptop decided to start installing updates that I think now we're in hour two of the updates installing. Well, it's, it's only at 71%. It's doing the Windows 10 ups, uh, install, isn't no, it? No, no, I already have Windows 10. Oh, No, right. it's doing, like, oh, what, doing what appears to be install. significant updates on said Windows 10. Right, to make it work. Which, I, well, I haven't been having performance issues with it so far. Like, there's... Um, a little bit of a rattle sometimes on our recordings, but I, I put that entirely down to just the laptop because it was doing that when I was on Windows 7 as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something to do with just like because I have all the browser windows open looking through the news, which is part of why I'm switching to written notes. Yes. Is that I'm affecting the performance of the thing by having <laughs> so much going on at once. Um, But anyway, we're here. We are. Episode 31 after... Uh-huh. I, I We were literally... I Listeners, we were about three four minutes away from packing it in for today and just putting friday plays onto thursday so we'd still have content hey, look, look. and just trying again in the morning we oh, have to laptops get... resetting again i'll give laptop updates throughout this we have to get through this recording get it edited and actually get it up online so there's a long time to go between yeah, yeah, yeah. that now yeah, and so then. if you're not hearing on the, hearing this on thursday we've killed each other <laughs> um that's, that's you probably wanted to on a number of occasions that's for sure um what have you been up to this week, apart from technical difficulties, Mark? We've both seen a film, and we're here to report on it. Yeah. Uh, give, us, give us your uh, your fourth grade book report on uh, Finding Dory. Well, I'm the one you're going to talk about I haven't seen yet, but yes, yeah. I finally saw Finding Dory. Now, I saw this uh, over a month ago yeah, in America. In San Francisco. I happened to be in San Francisco on opening weekend, yeah. so I got to see it. Was it busy? Um... It, we went at a time, like, oh. we went at late, so there weren't, wasn't a lot of children going, but you, there were a lot of grown-ups at it. Like, oh, okay, fair enough. The thing about, the thing about um, cinemas over there is that there's so many of them in, like, big built-up areas that unless, like, it's, you know, peak times, it's never really full, because they all, as well, have, like, this was just the local uh, AMC in the, the Van Ness area. It was... A, AMC Van Ness 14. I really liked it as a cinema. Um, and there was like, even in that cinema, that was like what looked like an old built, an old like office building converted into a cinema. Mm, yeah. Uh, or something like that. Or maybe it was an old timey cinema, but it still got like, I think a dozen screens on it. Oh wow. What was the price like? Um, A little bit more than it would be. Well, actually I suppose adjusted for currency rates at the moment. It's probably not too dissimilar from peak rates here. Like, I think it was $11. That's not bad. So, that would be about, what, €9, Euro, which it's ten fifty to I, go I, peak I times here as an just adult. Just about do pounds and dollars conversion, which is now completely fucked up due to Brexit, so there's no way I can yeah, do it. I think it's ten fifty <laughs> now in Odeons here in Ireland for um, peak times, but because I have that unlimited card, I don't know. 
for yeah. sure. I mean, like peak times for us can go up to about know, fourteen or fifteen quid. I know when I went to see the midnight uh, screening of the film, I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes. Um, it was eleven euro, but that's because it's a midnight screening. Those are especially yeah. expensive. Anyway, um, yeah. So the, Finding Dory. Yeah, Finding Dory. What I like about it is that <coughs> where Finding Nemo and most Pixar films in general are just a, a family-friendly kind of time with. A, an angle put somewhere along the way whether it's uh, to do with families or to do with um, friendships or like losing someone something that we can all identify with this the angle it goes with is to do with um, like a handicap or a disorder if you will yeah and that's to do with obviously um, Dory's short term memory loss but it doesn't do it in a way where you it's just like, oh, just feel sorry for this character, just no. em- empathise with her. It, uh, it very much highlights the ability in disability. Exactly. Yeah. And it only not only does it do it for, for her, it does it with a whole cast of other characters as well. And yeah. their disabilities or, you know, key word there is the ability part of disability. Yeah. And so I I really enjoyed what Pixar did with that. Um, and, and on top of that, just the general kind of I was going to use the word adorability there as if that was actually a word, mm. but like Baby Dory is the cutest thing. Oh my god, so many feels. Yeah, um, um, the, there's a lot of feels in the film. Um, I find my favorite two things about Pixar movies in general is that one they have a lot of heart to them. Oh, so much. Um, and the ones that have almost too much heart like break me up inside. Yeah. Like I can't watch the first ten minutes of Up. Not many people not, can. These no, days. I, I can't. I can't do it. Like it's right up there with with Mufasa dying. Spoilers yeah. for a movie that came out in nineteen ninety six. Um, it's right up there with Mufasa dying. Uh, well, as I mean, something that just is a tough watch. Considering my girlfriend at the time, she cried at just seeing dogs. Very much it's, like yeah. your girlfriend now. Uh, like as and soon me. As, I mean, as soon as dog came on the screen for the first time, she already cried about three times by that point, and a, she cried at least like awesome. three times. A dog is awesome. Yeah. Well, like the, yeah, the first ten minutes of Up is a thing where like the first time I saw it, right? So I saw it when it came out in the cinema. And let's just say I was going through a more jaded period of my life <laughs> and didn't really affect me no. because apparently I was a borderline sociopath. <laughs> like I came back to it a couple of years later. I was a, a warmer, nicer person mm. and it shreds me. Yeah. <laughs> like in a way that the uh, the Futurama episode with the dog kills me. Oh yeah. It's just... Sad dog stuff is the worst, man. Let's just not have that. I, I said this to someone recently. I was like, I think I'm more sad about when bad things happen to dogs than when bad <laughs> things happen to most people I know. Um, but... I, regardless, um, it's it's a really well put together film, and like uh, I I do concern I have the concern that Pixar films are going into sequelitis territory. Like I I don't see the point of doing a Toy Story four. I don't doubt that it'll be very good, especially after Schindler's Toy Box. <laughs> exactly, and like there's a difference between uh, DreamWorks and Pixar. I might jump off something high as well if there's another Cars movie. Well, yeah, that's the one of their franchise I've never been on board. But with. if you notice, like with DreamWorks films, the sequels become just totally irrelevant as they go further along the line. Like there's probably what five fucking Madagascar films, three or four Kung Fu Panda films, and they're all they're, they're DreamWorks, aren't they? Yeah, DreamWorks. Oh yeah, no, sorry, I thought you said Pixar. No, yeah. yeah. But so the sequels are always. Relevant, derivative, or yeah. like almost for like direct to DVD, where with the Pixar they, films, they 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 they're still charming in and of themselves, but they they feel derivative. And the the Pixar films have not gone into that territory, although it, I feel like it 
cars and, and definitely planes was the example there. Yeah. And so I worry about Toy Story 4 and I worry about Finding Dory, but having seen Finding Dory, it goes, it avoids that completely. It right. really has a heart to it. Uh, and I was quite surprised by that because I didn't know what to expect going in. Um, and I, it, it, I don't know... I'm not going to say it's better than Finding Nemo because it's a completely different film from Finding Nemo almost because it says Finding Dory but we spend a lot of the film with Dory and it's not about her being trying to find someone else it's Dory trying to find her parents mm. um, so the, the title of the film is almost misleading but yeah no it's it's a really really good film really well put together um, I saw a film as well yeah uh, I think it's going to be a slightly more controversial film well it's we, we've got a few hot topics to talk about this week. I saw The Suicide Squad. Yeah, so talk to me about The Suicide I, Squad. At midnight, the night it came out. Um, long story short, uh, just to kind of uh, give you the headline up front, there's a lot of things I like about Suicide Squad, but there are several things I disliked about Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you who, who aren't uh, aware of who The Suicide Squad and the comics are, they're not really a, a crowd that have had, like, the actual Suicide Squad comics. I, I couldn't give you off the top of my head a memorable run of Suicide Squad. The idea behind the Suicide Squad being that basically a lot of people from the DC rogues gallery get thrown together by this uh, horrible, terrible, sadistic woman, Amanda Waller. Uh, they get uh, explosive collars put in them so that if they disobey her, they die and they're made to do good things, yeah. even though they are bad guys. Um, they're kind of like, as the trailers for the film say, they're the worst of the worst. And, you know, the, they put these guys into situations where they don't want to risk the lives of good people uh, and things like that so the suicide squad came to cinemas this week and it was people were people were into the the advertising campaign for it because it, it appeared that there was a bit of fun injected into the into the Snyderverse, which wasn't there with the original the original trailer, trailer looked uh looked quite serious and I thought very good I like I, I know people are like oh this is serious I agree that that universe could use a bit more levity at times but I also would disagree with the sentiment that you should shoehorn in that sort of stuff and that's one of the problems this film suffers from as I'll that's what I thought from the trailer I thought yeah you've yeah. okay Bohemian Rhapsody there great is, song but the English might say the best song but it felt like it was shoehorned in there for my liking um I'll talk about the music in a minute, but okay. um, there are certain elements that are um, forced in. Like, I think a lot of the humour, like, a lot of the quipping and stuff like that is actually quite good in it. Um, and I think that's, that's, what's good, that. that's exactly what I'm getting on to now. So I'm going to talk about things I like first, I think. Um, so this is the first movie in a long time where Will Smith is basically the old Will Smith the Will Smith we like the kind of smart ass Will Smith Fresh Prince Will Smith in as much as that he's just this like sarky fountain of charisma you wasn't a fan of after earth grumpy old dad Will no, Smith no funnily, funnily <laughs> enough I wasn't I wasn't going to see Will Smith in a movie where the gimmick was he wasn't allowed to have emotions yeah uh... Um, not that fucking film no um, it's Will Smith being Will Smith as Deadshot Uh, that's the other thing I wanted to note as well for comic book fans this was going to be the first time ever in a film we saw Killer Croc who is like a a kind of an upper B tier Batman villain Mm -hmm. Um, Deadshot who I have always been a fan of the man who never misses the assassin and of course Harley Quinn and Harley Quinn is interesting in a lot of ways, as I'll get on to. Because Harley Quinn has not always been in the comic book. She's only been in the comic book since the 90s. 
I believe the actual timeline is Paul Dini came up with her in production for the animated series. Yes, where she was influenced. Yeah, yeah, and then wrote the comic book Mad Love to give her origin stories in the comic books. And it's funny because another character who was kind of like another kind of weird and colourful character that was brought into Marvel comic books in the mid-1990s was Deadpool, who also got a film this year. Hey. Or in the, within the last year. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, it's, it's interesting to see that both of those kind of, like, fan cult favourites are after coming to the screen this year. I'll talk about her in a second. So, I think uh, Will Smith's performance as Deadshot is really, really good. Um, I think he... There are parts of the film, uh, especially early on, because I'll talk a bit early on in the film is where I have some problems with it. Um, I think he carries the film very well. I think any time it comes to him, it's it's fun. There's a bit of comic relief, but there's also some seriousness to his character. Uh, I do feel they tried to... Um, you, you could argue that maybe they tried to humanise him a bit too much. Like, there's an angle in it with his daughter. Mm-hmm. But he does all these horrible things, but he's just trying to provide for his daughter and things well, like that's... that. And that's one of the criticisms people have had, is that, like, periodically it will just, like... Some people felt like it's really... Remo- like It's like they're beating you over the head. It's like, oh, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. The way I read it was that the fi- what the film is, is kind of doing is like he's in this situation because he's trying to get back to his daughter well, that's the way I looked at it is it's, like that he's got something to lose yeah, it's, because it's the, the, the narrative age. like Rick Flagg says to him at, at one point early on in the film he's like as soon as shit goes down like you're going to cut and run and you start to wonder well why isn't he because as soon as he's given his opportunity at first to cut and run he like wrecks shit and helps out the, the Suicide Squad I'm not going to give late movie spoilers or incredible details here so you, you yeah. don't have to worry about but that just, that's, but, the, that's the new age uh, kind of comic book movie style of to ground these comic book characters and make them in more of a realistic tone yeah because well the thing is like one of the things the Snyderverse suffers from is the fact that um, it's centred around Superman who like I might be controversial in this but for me traditionally has been one of the least interesting comic book characters because yes he's raised on Earth and there have been like periodically there have been good portrayals of the human element of Superman I'm thinking Smallville in particular and a couple of comics quite sparingly but uh, generally speaking particularly when you translate onto a big screen it is hard to garner sympathy uh, or to relate to or find comparisons between you and a superhero with the powers of a god yeah We've had this conversation. Like, you know, people give out about, oh, he's a goody two-shoes all the time. And I'm like, that much, that I don't have as much of a problem with, the world's greatest Boy Scout idea. Because that's basically what Captain America is. Yeah, yeah. But Captain America doesn't have the powers of a god. He's a super soldier, but he is he is mortal. Do you and know what I mean? a really tough shield. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I like Cap a lot. Oh, yeah. But, um... So Deadshot, I think, is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the best, uh, the, the funniest Will Smith has been in a long time. Um, I have a question for you. He's tried to recapture that magic with the two sequels to the original Men in Black. And uh, that has been di- <laughs> d- diminishing returns each yeah. time. The uh, Talking about Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie, obviously. Very, yeah, very that's where I'm going to next, yeah. Uh, how does it work with the kind of sexualization of her character the objectification well, okay the there is there are because obviously her outfit is a lot different from yeah, what the traditional there are a couple of moments like, this is what pe- people are finding problematic the over sexualization of the character now firstly the character of harley quinn has been overly sexualized since day one well yeah because she is basically like i, I borrow a phrase from kevin smith this is not my own phrasing but i can't think of a better way to kind of 
encapsulate the the negative sexualization of her and that is that she is basically the joker's fuck toy that's mm. what kevin smith calls her and that's that's kind of like because joker beats her around yeah. and stuff like I mean, that if you watch the the series, yeah yeah like and that's yeah, like that's there. where the character comes from obviously yeah. so um so that was all if you're going to try like attempt and do a faithful harley quinn representation that is going to be there there are two ways in which the overt sexualization of that character happens and then I'll get on to the um, the, the, the actual discussion of the character because I think her portrayal is actually very good. Um, I, I don't think anyone's denied that. Um, the director of photography is at times in the movie um, he may as well, the director of photography, walk onto screen and go, do you know this woman has an arse? Yeah. Because it seems to be the thing that the camera just follows in it's some the, uh, scenes. It's what I call the New Japan Maria. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and kind of like, it's crass, but, you know, let's not act like it's something we don't see in movies. It That's a movie problem. That's not a, just a DC no, problem. No, no, that, is a, that is a Hollywood still in the sex sells yeah, mindset yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Um then the other thing is that there like are a couple of comments that are made by other characters about like um like the prison guard earlier on like calls her hotness says that like there's a whole pile of pretty and a whole pile of crazy something like that Mm. but the one thing i will note about that that i'm not trying to make excuses for the film or anything like that but the one thing i will note is that pretty much anybody who comments on her and sexualizes her in the film overtly with dialogue is a horrible person yeah and you are not supposed to think these are nice people saying these things that are acceptable. These are the scum of the earth. Because mm. even the security guard in the prison is portrayed quite... I, I like that security guard guy. Um, I can't think of his name. He's a stand-up comedian. Um, is it Ike Barinholtz? I think it's Ike Barinholtz. Okay. But uh, he... Um, the people who portray the people who overly sexualize, like, sexualize her overtly in the film are horrible people yeah. and the film is really good at periodically reminding you that just when you start to have sympathy for the character and you start to like them and think oh no they're not that bad they remind you that they're awful people <laughs> okay you know right. um, so th- her performance I think is really good she doesn't have the the over the top Tara Strong or I can't remember the original voice actress's name the over the top Mr. J yeah. like the real kind of grating uh, like New York New Jersey kind of accent it is there. It's much more subtle. She's kind of dialed it back and made it less cartoony. And I think if she had gone full Harley Quinn like the cartoons, I think it would have stuck out like a sore thumb in the universe they've created. I think yeah. it's strange. Um, so her performance is good. I never thought I would sit on this podcast and say this. And I know Brian, and he has said on the podcast before his opinions on this man. And I don't think he like he agrees with me. And I don't think he ever would have thought he would agree with me. Jai Courtney is really good. <laughs> Jai, Jai Courtney is Captain Boomerang. Like, he's only a small part in it. Like, he comes in every now and then. But he's actually really funny. I'd say with Jai Courtney, like, there's been a couple of times where I've seen him, like, in Terminator Genesis, and I didn't actually yeah. realise that I thought that was someone else completely. Yeah, yeah. Like, Brian's general policy is, and I quote, fuck Jai Courtney. Whenever you mention Jai Courtney, he says, fuck Jai Courtney. But he's actually, like, he's actually really, like, just good comic relief in it. Um, I... To move on to a couple of problems I have with it, um, I think maybe, and it is the thing with comic book movies, and it is the thing with the source material as well, is that sometimes you are leaning into some ethnic tropes, mm-hmm. and it's that Diablo is a Latino gangbanger, mm-hmm. but like again, what are you going to do with the source material? Uh, Killer Croc. Um, 
Although, like, I would say Killer Croc, like, Killer Croc is definitely overtly supposed to be, like, kind of reminiscent of some black stereotypes, but he doesn't really, apart from one joke, which I'm not going to spoil in it because I actually laughed at the joke, um, apart from one joke in it, there's no kind of overt, you should re- remember that he's a black guy yeah. uh, under the scales. Um, and then Katana, like, I, I don't know what else you're supposed to do with Katana. Like, she comes in, she I mean, speaks Japanese, her name is fucking Katana. Yeah, I was gonna, the name like, if you've seen her mask, her mask has the red dot of the Japanese yeah, flag yeah. on it. Like, you know, I, I don't know how you get too far away from, like, I'm not justifying it by any stretch of the imagination. Well, the thing is... But, like, if they tried to change it too much, I have a feeling that the same people who are going... Well, not the same, not all the same, but some of the same people who are going on about it would also complain that they're say, not being loyal. You get to a point where you almost kind of homogenise all the characters yeah. into one kind of big mess. They have to have their own... Um, distinguished features even though yes sometimes that does fall into kind of stereotype tropes yeah but as long as they're not done in an offensive manner it's comic books there's a lot of outrageous yeah it's like professional wrestling you dial things up to 11 to make like to make the contrast between good and evil even more like but anyway um and what about so that's a little bit problematic um the pacing and editing of the film is at times what I said to you immediately when I came in is that the first half hour of that movie is a garbage fire. It doesn't know what it is. It doesn't know whether it wants to be light and funny. There's definitely a lot of colours that have been added in in post that weren't there to begin with. Um, there's a lot of quick cuts. There's a lot of, like, I appreciate that the film is trying to give you as many origin stories as possible, as quickly as possible, so this isn't an origin stories movie. I, I mean, appreciate that. there's a few that. there that I can't imagine even need origin stories. Um, the only one who doesn't get one out of the Suicide Squad that uh, of any description is Slipknot. Mm-hmm. All the rest of them get, uh, like, Deadshot's one goes on for fucking ages. I mean, there's nine members of that band. That's a lot De- to try and get. Deadshot's go on, goes on for nearly 15 minutes, I'd say. Really? Um, Harley's is about five minutes. That's all you need to know. And there's another backflash to a different thing with her as well. Um, let me think. Um, Crocs is all of 45 seconds. Well, there's all the um, news that's gone in this week as well that there's a lot of that... F- film that's been cut out um but predominantly one person who i'm getting on to next yeah. um, so i imagine that the, my... the director's cut of that film is going to be pretty significant yeah i imagine it'll be like like a lot of people who didn't like bats versus soups have watched the ultimate cut on blu-ray and said it's actually a substantially better film the stuff they've cut out pretty much with the exception of jesse eisenberg do we, do we have still that? terrible yeah i have it okay, here I'm watch that then. apparently it it adds in context where people needed context the first time round. Uh-huh. So apparently, like all the remaining gripes with it are down to the Martha thing and the uh, just general existence of uh, Lex Junior. Yeah. But um, okay, the well, final thing I want to get onto, and say, then we we're, spend we, quite a bit of time on this. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. The final thing I want to get onto is the Joker because that's uh, obviously the thing, uh, yeah. right? So um, Joker formed a substantial part of the the kind of the advertising campaign in the lead up to this movie. However. I don't know if it was partly that I'm au fait with comic books or that I was keeping a close eye on things leading up to it, but I knew that he wasn't going to be in it much. I knew that at best he would be in it a little bit, so you know that character exists to possibly play into the solo Batman film later or a subsequent Justice League film or something like that. It's just establishing the character and it's hard to put Harley Quinn in a film and not have something to do with yeah, the Joker. I will just say this beforehand. From the sort of outside looking in on the kind of comic book universe and looking mm. at this film as well, from the advertising and the marketing, I had the general impression that the Joker was the main antagonist of this film. Oh, no. No, it definitely wasn't. Which he's not. I, no. Yeah. Oh, but no, no. If you watch the trailers, he's definitely not. From the trailer, I would have that impression. 
No, because like they, they show you in the very early trailers that it's some weird space laser. That it's I, not. All, all I remember seeing is Joker. You only see him for like a second in each one and every time it's tied to Harley and not the rest of the Suicide Squad. Uh, He's never seen interacting with the rest of them and I know that because he doesn't interact with the rest of them in the film. I don't, well, I mean, there's the bit where he's kind of looking at the camera and he's like, I'm going to hurt you really, really bad. Like, it gave yeah. me the impression. Oh, that's, well, I don't know. Yeah, that could just be mean that it was clearly an Arkham Asylum when he was breaking out. Yeah, but hey, no, I, I'm like, because the, the whole thing is that he drove Harley insane. Well, no, what I'm saying is obviously yeah. you're going to see kind of bits of detail that yeah. make more sense to you for me from the outside looking. Yeah, in. so basically don't go in assuming he's the antagonist because like all the stuff you've seen from the trailer of him, like the torturing thing is like, it's a well-known thing that Harley Quinn's origin is that she was a doctor in Arkham Asylum, yeah, a psychi- yeah. psychiatrist in Arkham Asylum. Who the Joker, the Joker tortured and drove insane. And also, just point out a lot of the posts I've seen, fucking slap bang, dead yeah. center. But that's again, that's because Joker is money. Oh yeah, do obviously. you know what I mean? Totally like, get that. Yeah. Um, closest comparison, if he was trying to ape anybody, he's not trying to ape Heath Ledger. He's trying to ape Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not a fan. The voice, his voice is fine. His voice as the Joker is fine. His appearance didn't really bother me as much as I thought it would. It, it kind of, his the way he dresses and looks kind of makes sense in that world. Um, The one thing that I will argue, and it's really crucial to the Joker character, and this is where I'm going to finish just talking about the Joker, is um, the Joker is insane. Like, he is the most insane of all the insane things. Like, he currently, well, actually, most recently in the comics, he was wearing his own cut-off face strapped onto his face. Um, That is how insane he is, and he is obsessed with Batman. Like, absolutely, like, obsessed with Batman. Mm. Um, You don't get either of those vibes in this. He is entirely too organized in this film. Like, he has henchmen around him. We have seen interpretations of the Joker before where he is, like, basically, like, a mob boss. Mm-hmm. But he was always still the Joker, just as a mob boss. He was still fucking insane. Um, This time, he isn't really. Like, he's seen hanging out in VIP areas in a club. He has a clear and detailed plan. What he seems is... Right. So the Joker, depending on what origin story you go with, like the hair and the, the, the pallor of his skin uh, is traditionally put down to the version of his origin story that he was burned in Ace Chemicals, blah, 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 blah. Um, what you get the vibe of in this film is that it's basically war paint to put off his enemies, that he is a little bit psychological, but not as psychological as the Joker in the comics and definitely not as insane as the Joker in the comics. You feel that like he's putting on an act to intimidate people rather than he's actually insane. And he never... Apart from there's one glorious moment where he looks like the Joker and it involves him in a machine gun. That Then he looks like the Joker because he looks like he's, t- he's, he's riling in chaos and violence. But the rest of it... And he's only in it for about 10 minutes of the whole film. And, like, people could say, well, he's only in 10 minutes of a whole film. Um, you can make a lot out of 10 minutes in the film. Like, I think Heat Ledger was only in Dark Knight for 17 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you would be hard-pushed to not say he's the main character of that film. Because his menace hangs over the film even when he's not on screen. Because that's how good he is when he's on screen. So, Jared Leto, an Oscar-winning actor, it, it must be remembered. He's a good actor. Yeah. Like, he has certain flaws about him as a person. Now, as it turns out, and this is the fine, the very final point. I'm sorry, I've laboured this way too long. I didn't think I had this many thoughts about it. <laughs> um, 
he has said in the last week himself that so much of the Joker has been edited out of the film in the mm. final cut that that's what that's most of what was edited out. Yeah, that not only makes the character make more sense apparently, but is all his best scenes. <laughs> now, of course, right. he will say that oh, he yeah. was the actor. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to see those scenes. Um, I'm not fully like I'll throw that character in the bin. I think if that character is slightly reconsidered and you emphasize more his insanity and the psychological level of how he works, um, then it could be fine. I think the the other thing before I go on, and I think it was because they were kind of gun shy and afraid, um, particularly because this film was always going to get more um, attention, critical attention because of the reception to Batman versus Superman. I think they got a little gun shy on the nature of Joker and Harley's relationship. Yeah, It is entirely more loving than it is in the comic books or mm-hmm. the animated series there is not the kind of the substantial abuse that there is in the actual relationship uh, which I think for me is a shame because I would have liked to have seen them try and actually because you can make an interesting statement about the nature of abusive relationships and actually without exploiting it uh, and they just they were gun shy and well, just made it kind of a they they do love each other they're they're crazy but they love each other also yeah the 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 there are two parts two short parts of the film that have Ben Affleck in it as mm-hmm. Batman and oh by the way stick around for the there's a mid credit scene but not a post post credit scene the mid credit scene is pretty good um the brief moment where and it's in the trailer so I'm not spoiling anything where Batman is pursuing the Joker uh Joker doesn't react like the man he's obsessed with his arch nemesis is pursuing him he's just acting like you know there's a fly on the windshield or something like that if anything Harley reacts more like it's someone they're familiar with not him but anyway yeah Suicide Squad first half hour is a bit of a garbage fire all over the place but once it calms down and it's sure of itself it's fun I've seen it twice now uh, because the girlfriend wanted to go um, the other day and uh, yeah it's fine I'm I'm not particularly it's hard to be passionately angry or passionately in favour of it it's just kind of middle of the road um it's definitely better than it's a more fun movie going experience than man of steel it's a more fun movie experience than either of the two iron man sequels because i'm on record as passionately hating iron man 3 and thinking iron man 2 was a hot mess for its entire duration well let's leave it at that and thor 2 is crap as well well let's leave it at that let's move on let's talk about some games let's playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. So, uh, I uh, I played Inside. Yeah. And I finished Inside. Oh, you finished it? Yes. Ah, the Which Broken Nightmare People game. still not the way you want yeah, to no. put that sentence together. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, you told me that the ending of that game, or the kind of last part of that game, was... Uh, Unique, yeah, <laughs> a little bit broken. Yeah. Now before it broken that part, in a in a mental way, before not, that, not broken in a mechanical way. Yeah. So before that part, inside, um, you know, by the creators of uh, Limbo, it has very similar traits and elements of Limbo, side-scrolling platformer with some puzzle elements. But and we've spoken about this before. the The key difference is that puzzle elements in Limbo. It was usually a case of you would be caught by something, you would die, you would learn from that, you would not make that mistake again and kind of move on. Which got a little bit tedious towards the end because you never really felt like you was kind of solving a problem. It's just you was running into a problem, 
and then it was kind of process of elimination of like, okay, that's how I deal with this next time. With Inside, you was given a task to complete and you wasn't really ever put in an element of danger. Or if you were, you was put in a controlled environment where you could kind of figure out without being killed. And if you did get caught, it was it was your own fault there. You yeah. was careless. And so I liked that. I liked that they um, reversed really the process of how to uh, get out of a situation compared to Limbo. Because that was one of the issues I had with Limbo. And so it's it's kind of a basic mechanic that like all of the older 2d platforms do where they put you in a controlled environment give you a problem uh where you're not really going to die and then you learn it and it doesn't kind of bash you over the head with how to learn this mechanic uh and then yeah you've got it down and i think that they did really well with that and uh, I, I commend them for um changing that one kind of key element other than that yeah it does kind of feel and control and play a lot like limbo um, I really like the kind of interaction with the environment. It is a, a 2.5D platformer almost, if you will. Mm. Um, but how you kind of go in front of or behind obstacles and you can kind of move them along uh, is very quick, very seamless, and it works. Uh, I, I think they did really well with that. Um, the environments are incredible. It's a really striking game the atmosphere is the atmosphere and the tension that they put forth is is really good like the first five minutes of that game as you're running away from the dogs it's very tense very very tense um and this kind of sterile almost dystopian future that they present to you um without the use of words without the use of dialogue of any kind of story content is really really well done um you know it has that kind of noir-esque sort of vibe to it and it works I, i think they did really good with that now, in terms of the uh, the kind of, I don't want to say it's a twist, but the the kind of point in the game where the, the, the famous thing that or the thing that people have been talking about, um, I, it didn't really shock me or <clears throat> um, make me go, oh my god, what is this? It, it it seemed a bit daft almost, and that might be on me that I'm a broken nightmare person. Mm. Um, I got a vibe of Akira from it, actually. Uh, the kind of last scene with uh, Tetsuya. Is that his name? I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen that film. And, it, like, by the end of the film... Uh, sorry, the end of the film. The end of the game. I was kind of sat there going, huh? But not in a, oh, that was really interesting. I wonder what they're trying to say. It was more just a... I, that was a bit dumb. I didn't really get it. I didn't really like it it didn't do anything for me um and i think part of it is because they were doing so well up until that point that it felt like like they had to put something there for that final chapter to say oh yeah we need to have them we need to have people talking about this they need to have something to kind of work towards and i feel that they were doing such a good job with what they built up towards that point um that I don't know, it felt like, felt like it kind of fell on its face uh, a little bit with <coughs> that last third chapter. Um, and I don't know whether that's just because I knew that I was expecting the twist. Maybe if I yeah. <clears throat> maybe if I was going in without that, maybe I'd have felt a little bit different. I don't think I would have. I, I know enough about my psyche to know what kind of stuff gets to me and what yeah, doesn't. I, I also think that like part of it has to do with the, the hands-off approach to the narrative, that it like depends on like what you're reading into the, the meaning behind it all is yeah. and stuff like that. Like I read certain things into it. I'm not going to get into it now because I don't want to labor the point. I already talked about this game on the, the podcast last week, but I, I read things into it that made the twist kind of interesting and morbid to me. 
Um, and I know there's a secret ending as well that apparently makes things even clearer. Yeah, so I mean, obviously... Which I haven't watched yet. I haven't read too much into it. I haven't seen that secret ending, so I I probably will go and do my homework and and kind of look over those bits and pieces. Um, And by no means am I saying that it's a bad game or that you shouldn't play it. Like, I think that it's something to definitely experience um, because, as I said, what they do up until that point and even like with the mechanics that are still in there at that point, you know, it, it's got a lot going for it. And it's definitely something that I will, um, by the end of the year, will stay with me in terms of kind of remembering the, the tone and the vibe that that game gives. Because there's going to be very few games this year that will do what Inside does. Um, but it didn't get me at the end there where I was A, expecting and B, hoping because of the expectation uh, to get so but still like it is going to be yeah it's one of the the most unique games that i'll play this year and it's one that i will you know certainly remember the most because it just visually tonally um striking is very very striking and i like games where i like games that from the get-go just kind of throw you into the world and but the mechanics are so simple that you don't have to spend 10 minutes with a tutorial it's just like boom go you know, mm. they're the games that will always grab me the most. Um, it's like it's why I'm still playing Downwell so much at the moment. It's just yeah. like there you go. There's like three buttons go, uh, and it's you know it's why Doom will probably be one of my games of the year because yeah. it's that's definitely go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you have anything else or really move on? Uh, yeah, and so PS Plus is both <laughs> Tricky Towers. Uh, Excuse me, I'm I'm still dying. That's all right. You're still pretty. Uh, Tricky Towers is like a reverse Tetris. No, that's actually not the best way to describe it. It's it's Tetris, but it uses all the blocks of Tetris. But instead of you um, trying to uh, clear levels, you're actually trying to build a tower with the idea that at the top there's like a kind of finishing line and you need to be able to hold the tower straight uh, to put like a final object on. It's like reverse Jenga. Reverse Jenga, there you go. That's actually a better way of putting it. Um, but it's physics-based as well. So where in Tetris, like, blocks are rigid, it never moves. With here, would be, Actually, would it be kind of like mount your friends with blocks? Kind of, almost. Yeah, yeah actually, that's that's probably the best way to put it, with no um, jiggly penises moving about as well. So not as good, then. Th- not as good, no. <laughs> but it has a couple of different... We need to play that game, we by do. the way. That, we do. I've never played it. Have you never played no, it? No, I really want to. It. It's good. I, yeah, we should put that on the list of things to do. Um, but it has a couple of different modes as well. So it um, has levels where it changes the blocks, whether it enlarges them or kind of locks them so you can't rotate them. So you have to kind of work around that as well. Yeah. It has uh, some well, levels... Some Tetris games do that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has levels where you have uh, like a very low... Um... Are they all the standard Tetramino shapes? Yes, it's all okay. the standard shapes. Um, you have levels where it really plays like a puzzle uh, in that you have a set amount of objects that you have to get into a confined space and if you go past that point then you have to start again mm. uh, so it, it's it's not a bad game it's kind of frustrating because really like as you build the blocks up um, if you kind of knock one piece slightly off you know it, it pretty much it's game over you've got to start again yeah. and sometimes the gameplay is unfair where um you've laid your objects down and then you have like a kind of enemy AI and he'll sometimes he might like lift one of your blocks up with a balloon and then it'll drop back down and then that will kind of knock your tower over and that really kind of plays out of your hand there you know there's no way to know what object he's going to pick up and what he's going to do with it so that can be a little bit annoying 
other than that, though, like, yeah, for a PS Plus game, it's it's fun. I'm enjoying it. Um, I f- would like, definitely like to sit down with you and uh, and play a little bit of the multiplayer with it. That can be arranged. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's all right. Uh, you know, it's a PS Plus game, so I'm never going to argue with that. Let's talk about No Man's Sky. Let's talk about No Man's Sky. The big release of the week. Just came out. Uh, been playing around with it for a day or so now at this point. Uh, when we record this, came out Wednesday, uh, Tuesday night, midnight. I uh, played it for about an hour then. Played it on and off all day yesterday because I didn't want to burn myself out. Um, whew, how do you succinctly talk about a game this fucking vast? <laughs> Here's the thing. Right, okay. So impressions are, I really love this game already. Yeah. Okay. That is just your your headline right there. Um, I suppose because the kind of the, the the good certainly outweighs the bad here. I'll talk about a couple of negatives maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, because the servers are overwhelmed at the moment. The only thing that seems to interrupt at the moment is when you pull into your galactic map. I encountered this problem last night, so I wanted to return to the galaxy I started in, the star system I started in. Sorry, I should actually use the terminology in the game. The star system I started in because the planet I started on, which I was able to eventually rename Genesis because I I, I uh, realized that everything in sci-fi is named kind of douchely. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to name things real douchey. Um, so I named it Genesis because the beginning. <clears throat> so that um, is what insurrection resurrection. Hey, it um, it is like. Um, it is. It was very resource rich. So I said, I'll go back there, uh, mine for ages, and kind of like sell loads, and I'll be able to buy a really cool ship. Um, and one of the problems that uh, that is happening with the servers at the moment is that um, you can't. There's a feature on the galactic map where you hit up, and it should within the galaxy highlight anywhere you've made discoveries, which makes it easy then for you to navigate back to your galaxy or your star system. Um, that isn't working properly yet. Right. Now, I imagine that will be sorted and it will be handy to have that feature. But that seems to be the only way, short of you happening upon or remembering the direction which you travelled from. Because it is hard to find one star in 18 quintillion planets mm-hmm. on the galactic map. Um so that's a problem and then the other thing that happen, that's happening and this will probably surprise nobody considering how vast the fucking thing is that there have been some texture pops although texture pops not happening in the same way that that, that happens in other games um, well, a lot yeah. of them it's, it's, it's not texture pop as much as it is texture fade the, the thing is with uh, No Man's Sky because it's a really weird game in terms of its creation mm. because it's all about algorithm you yeah. know it's not made with uh, polygons. It's not yeah. made in the traditional sense. It uses a completely different way, and you know it's all algorithms that calculate together and give you. My laptop is working now. That's the update. oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, and it gives you a random, you know, procedurally generated planet, uh, life forms, mm-hmm. flora, all that fauna, all that kind yeah. of stuff. So I imagine there's still going to be some teething problems in terms. Oh of... Oh yeah, you know, like I'm I'm a realist about it. Like yeah, I know the game's going. Are... What the fuck am I? I, I, I don't have now? a problem with it. I don't. I don't have a problem. I, do, I don't believe this is something that's going to go like unaddressed. Um, like some of the problems there, like they're very actively trying to, as we'll talk about in the news, very actively trying to address problems they've noticed, address problems that other people are noticing, and kind of improve the game and add features. It seems very much like much in the way like Overwatch and other games are helpfully being. It's going to be a game as a service sort of thing where you're going to get a whole lot of shit free because you stumped up the money up front to buy it. Yeah, which is good. Um, 
So, um, I have said, uh, we've been talking about No Man's Sky since probably episode one on this podcast because we've known about it for over three years. Um, and pretty much since day one, the thing, the comparison I've been using is Space Minecraft. Mm-hmm. In in the way I meant Space Minecraft is not just because you're mining resources. That's a very rudimentary way to compare the two games. The way in which I always meant it was Space Minecraft is that there are loose goals to the game. There is a de facto ending to it. There is some sort of narrative to it like there is to Minecraft. Minecraft has the nether and it has the end and the ender dragon. So you can sort of finish Minecraft doing big air quotes here. And No Man's Sky is the same. There is a thing called The Path. Where, you know, we've heard that you want to be getting towards the centre of the galaxy. And there is some stuff I saw, was it Jeff Gersman or a couple of other people talking about how if you didn't know from the promotion for the game that you had to get towards the centre of the galaxy that they wouldn't know. But, uh, and this comes from the procedural generation thing, is that by the time I got to my third star system, I found stuff that was hinting at me that I needed to go to the centre of the galaxy. Yeah. So I would, if I didn't know now, if I didn't know before, I would have known just from actually taking my time and making sure I discovered things. I think... Because there are these, like, there are monoliths and things like that where you find things that reference Atlas and make reference of how long they've been there and what put them there. And I I got a hint last night that the galaxy's epicenter is where answers are. Yeah. I think what some people were hoping for uh wasn't so much um a space minecraft but more um a and it's almost a redundant way of saying it but a space star uh, starbound which is you know obviously in itself uh, space but a, a starbound or terraria type um scenario i don't know if you've played either of these two games i know i'm familiar with them i've not played them myself. yeah so they take the kind of basic core concept of minecraft you mine extrapolate uh, improve your materials and weapons and uh, tools and you go off and explore but what these two games have um, that Minecraft doesn't and what seemingly No Man's Sky doesn't which I think is what a lot of people are disappointed about is that they have clear defined objectives and goals there are uh, dungeons and mini bosses and actual bosses uh, and they are you know kind of loot based games and I think that I'm, I'm on the presumption that that's what a lot of people were looking for on top of this multiplayer thing that they expected to find, which was in no way ever an actual thing. And I think it's throwing a lot of people off because, you know, in 99% of all games, you have one of two things, uh, a conflict and objectives and or objectives. Mm. So the conflict leads to the objectives that you want, you have to go and achieve. No Man's Sky doesn't really do that. Other no, than and that, that's where the, the Minecraft element comes in, is that Minecraft is only fun for you if you're the kind of person that can give yourself a project. Yeah. I think the only other difference, though, is Minecraft has a more a level of creativity in what you can do with the environment. Um. Yeah, yeah. You know? I, I, I'll grant you that. Like, that's... um. The, the comparison I'm making is purely in terms of you give yourself a project like are you going to be an explorer are you going to try and focus on upgrading your, your ship yeah, so that I you just, can be the greatest space pirate in the world I just feel No Man's Sky is a little bit more limiting in the options well, it, it is for now but the next update is bringing in well this is the thing starship base building and um, 
possibility of owning freighters yeah and, and i think a lot of people are complaining and it's 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 a, i guess you can make the argument that well this is all stuff that should be there for the release not in the patches i would say so if it weren't for the fact that there's already so much in it like if the game was like destiny where that shipped as a hollow empty mess of a game where there yeah. wasn't much to do but this there's there is so much to do there is so much to do in this between like discovering different worlds discovering different animals there is so much to upgrade that already exists in the game that there is no way can anybody satisfactorily be like oh well i've maximum upgraded everything at this point um like i have been playing the game like like i said most of yesterday and still have yet to get myself a single upgrade for my exosuit you know what I mean? I've got a few blaster upgrades, I've got a few ship upgrades, stuff like that. So there is plenty still to do. Um, there's motivation there for people to get towards the centre of the galaxy if they want. There's stuff to explore in space between planets. The people who aren't going to have fun are the people who are looking for a heavy narrative that's telling them what to do. Um, and uh, I'm going to get to, to actually one of my problems uh, that I need to kind of alert people of uh, in a few moments. But I have had like... Um, I, I kind of relate most of all the people who've been talking about it and reviewing it and things like that who are doing reviews in progress are happening at the moment because obviously it's hard to put a definitive score on a game yeah. like this <laughs> um, Austin Walker advice is after doing like a, he's penned a letter about it which I think was a very interesting way to do it he wrote a letter to the other guy who's going to be writing letters back about his experience in No mm-hmm. Man's Sky okay. um, and his kind of thing was like it's the stress reliever he didn't know he needed yeah the music and the visuals and everything are so serene and so kind of sumptuous that um you find yourself just relaxing and hours will pass kind of like minecraft and also like minecraft you will be relaxing and all of a sudden danger 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 you're dead (laughs) i've died once um there are things that i'm encountering now only three star systems in that i thought I thought, right, okay, if everything I'm experiencing in this first star system is pretty much what there is uh, in terms of, like, uh, mechanics and variations and things like that, like, I can see how some people might eventually get bored of it. I don't necessarily think I would, but I can see. But on my third star system, I'm still encountering new things. So I've started to encounter um, hostile subspace where all of a sudden I I will get a detection on my ship saying I'm I have, that the ship has detected hostile subspace. And then there'll be another one, because obviously I'm being scanned from somewhere, that the hostile ships have detected I have some rare cargo. And then all of a sudden you'll see, like, because the, the, the cursor will, t- or the, the kind of the reticle uh, will tell you to kind of look up and to your left or wherever it is. You look up and to your left and you'll see ships warp in. Yeah. So I've never fought more than two, but apparently it's a thing that, like, the more star systems you hop through... It kind of like, especially if you're going towards the center of the galaxy, it will get gradually more hostile. Um, so I, I've had to dogfight with two ships and the AI is interesting. They don't move in patterns you would necessarily expect. I fought uh, two ships at once and they were kind of planning the way they were attacking me. They were moving around in opposing patterns so that it, if I was trying to target one of them in particular, which you kind of have to do, like you have to follow one of them and try and shoot them. Um, the other one was moving in a pattern that if you're following ship A, ship B is always behind you, able to shoot you. So it's it's very like it's very tense. Uh, there's a lot of adrenaline going there. Uh, I have that's the one time I died was in a dogfight in space. 
there's also if you want to kill animals if you want to kill animals or if you if you mine too much and start wrecking the terrain of a planet the planets have sentinel programs which are these kind of like um semi-sentient ais who kind of just guard the planet and they'll come after you um they kind of the most basic form is just like this floating pod thing you've seen them on our playthrough on youtube and then they go up i know from the 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 marketing for the game that there's like a bipedal version of that that's a bit more hardcore if you start really antagonizing things but i didn't want to ever antagonize i was like well i have no reason to ever kill an animal because the most you do and i did figure out because i was saying on the stream that you can feed some of the animals and i was like i'm not sure what that does Turns out uh, sometimes they poop rare items <laughs> if you feed them. And then other times they like you. So they'll lead you to somewhere where there's very rare items and dig them up for you. Okay. Okay. So that's the that's the benefit of kind of being nice to the animals. And also as well, if you scan the animals, you get points for uploading your discoveries if you're the first person to uncover them. Um, yeah, I thought I never was going to antagonize the sentinels. But then last night, and this is the thing, like I'd gone through the full day and I was starting to see like patterns and... I was like, okay, well, I can understand, like, um, I, I kind of basically understand the things this game has to throw up for me. I came across um, factory facilities, which I had never come across all day long until last night, and I came across observatories. And both of those have metal steel doors on them that you can only blast off when you've upgraded your mining tool to be a bolt caster or something like an offensive weapon for combat. And as soon as you start blasting the door, the sen- you get like a two-star wanted rating, for want of a better term. Okay. And the Sentinels start blasting. You know, as soon as you get in, you take control of that building, the Sentinels back off. But those steel doors, especially if you don't have much of an upgraded weapon, those steel doors are tough to get down. Like, it takes two or three full clips to take down if you don't have a big upgrade on your weapon. Um, so that antagonism, that adds a nice element to it. And then within the observatories... The observatories are able to detect for you like distress beacons in space and things like that. And one of the things you're apparently able to do, and I only, when I was looking up the problem into a specific bug that I'm going to get on to next, um, I found out that sometimes if you follow distress beacons, you can find a crash ship that is way better than your ship. And if you can repair that ship, you can have it. Um, so you don't necessarily have to fork out millions of units on a ship if you don't want to. You could be a real... Like, because there are, there are three ways they, they kind of uh, say you can, and you can mix it. It doesn't have to be like, you have to be purely one way or the other. But the three paths, big air quotes there, are basically, to sum it up, space trader, space pirate, slash scavenger, and space explorer. So you could be like the Attenborough of the galaxy and just go around and just look at animals and look at plants and harvest resources to keep you going to be able to sell or uh, craft new shit and you don't have to break in anywhere if you don't want to you don't have to shoot stuff uh, unless like you're trying to survive uh, you could stay in space and attack freighters they're these giant freighters that sometimes are unmanned sometimes appear unmanned and then again much like i was talking about shit drops out of subspace and starts attacking you um so you could do that if you wanted or you could be someone who purely the only reason they're in it is to make as much money as possible from space trading uh sean murray said that there is a way to game the in-game economy that once you break atmo and leave your first planet and i must say there are very few more satisfactory feelings i've had in a game this year than the first time i broke atmo in a spaceship and went into deep space in it uh matched possibly only by a couple of hours later when i warped to my first my second star system uh, when i engage my warp drive um 
he said that there's if you were really really smart and really really clever and you would need to be really really clever to do this like basically once you get up to your first space station there is kind of a way to game the system where you very rarely ever need to go back to a planet again you could just exist in space between different space stations and stuff like Mm. that um the game is unbelievably dense with mechanics with uh it doesn't hold your hand there's a lot to try and understand firstly there is a very bare bones tutorial that sort of shows you how to do a lot of things and that's the one last thing i want to get on to because i don't want to labor to want too much i want people just to either watch our youtube playthrough which will tell you a lot about the early stuff you can expect in that game um the one thing everybody has in common from the start is everybody crash lands on a planet and has to fix their ship before they can leave the planet um the nature of the planet is not the same for everybody else one of the things that's been brought in since the patch that we're going to talk about in the news is that uh, the resources on your starter planet are going to be much more generous than they were in the original build uh so sean murray has urged people thoroughly explore your origin planet before you leave it because you will probably miss a couple of upgrades or something rare um but as for the nature of the actual planet you start on the atmosphere and stuff like that and how plentiful the flora and fauna are that's utterly random um like i've heard of people like i started you saw on a fairly lush planet that had very minimal effect on my exosuit and my survival because early on in the game before you upgrade your exosuit there's a lot you have to put into your life support a lot of stuff you mine goes into charging because you have to charge your ship you have to charge your gun you have to charge your exosuit to survive um but some people have started off on heavily radioactive planets some people have started off on planets that are basically on fire all the time like i landed on one last night that was uh, 161 degrees centigrade at all times and then a storm started when a storm starts the temperature whatever it is whether it's ice fire radioactive just gets more extreme i've been on radioactive planets i've been on frozen planets i've been on planets that are all water and a couple of floating islands um, so the diversity of planet you can start on could be any of those or some I haven't mentioned. I don't know what variances I haven't come across yet because that's the beauty of the game, I suppose. Um, the the one thing I will say for people, my advice starting off, and I'm not going to spoil anything and start getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, I, I, I did this, I did that. If you want to watch what I was doing early on, go on to YouTube, check out our link to the cast plays from yesterday and check out my Friday plays because I'm probably about to restart the game to do that from scratch. If you pre-ordered the game, you get three things. So, um, if you pre-ordered it physically, you get a gun upgrade, you get a ship upgrade, and you get some money. Take the money straight away, that's fine. Don't redeem the other two. That would be my advice to you. Because the tutorial phase of the game, which I would class as everything up until you warp out of a system for the first time, you will pick up blueprints and tips that you cannot get if you skip ahead by getting a new gun by getting a new ship so some people and it's being reported this morning some people are ending up stranded in space because the one thing in particular that's happening is that a lot of people are cashing in on the pre-order ship which i did as well because it's a really cool looking ship that kind of looks like an arrowing from lilac wars right the problem with that is that ship automatically comes with a warp drive in it warp drives are what helps get you out of the star system it's the only part of the ship that's involved in getting you out of the star system you cannot leave your star system without one if you keep your base ship not your pre-order ship the ship that you crashed in at the start of the game 
if you keep that it will force you into a kind of not linear but it will force you in a direction where you will discover the blueprints for building a warp drive if you skip to having a warp drive the game will acknowledge that you have a warp drive so therefore you don't need a warp drive anymore so it will skip that part of the tutorial that part of the tutorial is the only guaranteed way you can get blueprints for the warp drive you can because it's procedural you can find it later because you can come across you can uh, pile up on diagrams of the same thing like you can find the same diagram for something twice um, because that's just the way the universe works there are only so many upgrades and anything quintillion planets blah, 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 blah. Um, so I am in a bind now where I'm like do I restart the game and possibly not be able to get my cool ship back and have to wait and pay for a version of that cool ship later Um, or do I say I like the ship too much and keep persisting for hours and hours and put loads of progress into this game only to find that eventually I am trading to a ship that doesn't have a warp drive because you can take some components off ships and guns and put them onto your new one when you trade it but a warp drive isn't one of them so if I want a ship but it doesn't have a warp drive and I get that ship, I can't leave the galaxy. Mm. And I might I might not find another warp drive diagram in that and then I'm just stuck. Which yeah. good. So that's probably, because it's getting a bit of press, that is probably going to be uh, sorted in the patch. I would imagine the easiest way to do that is to um, either let people... I imagine, well, I imagine it'll be a two-hander. The best way to solve it would be one to let people who had the pre-order every time they restart the game. I don't know if this is the case or not. I'll find out for sure when I restart the game later. Um, to let people, when they restart the game, they can redeem those items again now that they know. Right? Uh, and then the other side of things would be maybe to uh, make it so that when you start a new game, you can't redeem those items until you've learned how to craft a warp drive. <laughs> That'd be the simplest thing. I love this game to bits. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, and I think, uh, for the sake of time, I will not speak of the other game that I have. I feel that's going to be a, an ongoing... Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pop in with my captain's log every week, I yeah. think, and let you know how I'm getting on there. Because I imagine until um, a certain other game uh, comes out in a month, I'm probably not going to be playing much else. Yeah. But anyway, uh, let's talk about... All the news that's fit to print. News on the mark! It's finally coming. The PS4K, the PS4 Neo, the PS4.5. The whatever PS4K. The, whatever goddamn thing you want to call it. <laughs> uh, it looks like it's coming September 10th. Uh, prominent games journalists across this vast world of ours were uh, sent invites this week to a mystery event in New York City mm -hmm. on September 7th. Uh, the last time that a mystery event like this was done, uh, no, I think they said beforehand when it was PSVR. I don't think they, I don't think they kept it because I think, I don't remember. I think that cat was long out of the bag. Uh, I think Project Morpheus, I think they knew for sure. Uh, but the last time I remember this was when the original PS4. There was a special event, yeah, yeah. you know, and the PS4 yeah, was here. I thought they were going to hold off until um, PlayStation Experience, but uh, this would make me think that it's out sooner than some people thought it was. Um, well, I mean, I'm not going to... Um, 
put any speculation on when that actually thing will be announced because I have no idea at this point. The latest rumours are end of November. End of November. This year. Yeah. Jesus. Which is a shame for me because that means that if the original rumoured specs are true, then this console isn't nearly as strong as Project Scorpio is going to be. Because I think Project Scorpio, the specs it revealed at E3 kind of surprised everybody uh, and was way out ahead of uh, PS4K. And I said at the time, I think this was would be a wise time for Sony unless it was really too late in the production stage. If they had already started making these things, yeah. they should really kind of go back to the drawing board and try and make a, make a comparable or a little bit better than Scorpio. For all the good it will do, like or we're going to talk about these iterations now. I'm sure shortly, but um, but yeah, I mean, like so uh, since about April, we've known um what the PS4K kind of is. I feel and like how, I've always known. Well, yeah, and how Sony plans to allow PS4 and PS4K to coexist. Um, but I'm sure that we'll get some more information on some of that. <coughs> uh, probably find out like what games, um they're going to maybe talk about in terms of you know what's going to run on the ps4k like how that's going to differ oh no they've already come out and said that there will be no difference like xbox one scorpio like it might might look slightly prettier but there's never going to be a game that's a ps neo exclusive hmm. they've said that outright much like xbox have, have said and that's they have ever they they really should have it like that because well yeah i hmm. think you run a serious risk of running off your console base well really all they can do for this announcement then is name when it's coming out and really just name say if they have put any more into the system because you said there if the scorpio i suspect it is for a very the the entire reason behind developing this version is for a very short list of things i imagine it has a bigger hard drive Hmm. than the standard 500 gigabytes it might even be a two terabyte drive i would like it to be a two terabyte drive i'm not buying one but i'd like it to be number two it's a boutique console for people who want 4k streaming and 4k resolution on their tv so it will render 4k where possible um and third i reckon ultimately it is kind of the 200 to really help um stability with psvr outside of that it has no real like it is going to be i think the marketing around it is going to be pretty much identical to xbox uh with scorpio it's going to be like this isn't for everybody it's not the main center of our console universe it is a more expensive option for people who can afford it who like the very short list of things we can offer now i wonder what they classify this because we're currently in the eighth generation yeah. Uh, with the NX coming out next year, is the NX the start of the ninth generation, or is the Scorpio and the Neo the start of the ninth generation? No, they're definitely not because they're iterations on the exact same console. Yeah. Um, I I think uh, they're kind of Nintendo r- n- Nintendo run on a cycle and all of their own. <laughs> Although I think Nintendo's one unless it's NX hits and it's the hottest shit. I think by the time they're coming to their console that follows the NX or whatever follows the NX, I think that might be around the time that we see a PS5 or an Xbox 2. <laughs> but uh, well, no, I mean, these, if, if these... Microsoft say what they're saying, we're not going to be seeing any new Xboxes yeah. that aren't an iteration for a while. People always fucking say that. <laughs> um, but I guarantee you, like they say that, but there is a team somewhere buried in Microsoft's R&D that are already developing that thing. Potentially. Well, if you think about it, Mark Cerny, the guy who, the, arch- the architect 
of the PS4 yeah. was pretty much put on that project as soon as the PS3 comes out. That's how these companies work. And most of the time during the last console cycle, people were saying this was the last console cycle. Yeah. Well. And then PS PS4 just went. Oh, that's right. People really like console gaming. People really aren't fucked with replacing graphics chips every year and a half <laughs> to keep up with PC gaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's like there's still a massive, massive base of people who want consoles there, but what they want is consoles to keep up with the time and provide a good service for them. I mean, to be fair, they were always going to have to replace the PS3 anyway because that thing was fucking yeah. unstable. Anyway, um, yeah, my whole thing about the PS4K and Neo, unless they really backtrack on their own messaging so far, is that the PS4K, PS4 Neo, whatever you want to call it, and the Xbox One Scorpio are boutique consoles that are going to provide slightly prettier, slightly maybe better performing, you'll have less likely, like for example, Sean Murray said something about the PS4 Neo with No Man's Sky and allowing it to do different things and I imagine the substance of that is that it's going to be able to render things in better detail I think is the best well, I, like those those texture fades and stuff like that it's going to be able to process that algorithm a lot better yeah um, I mean it's the, like the subtle loading that happens in No Man's Sky um, and I really don't want to get back on this for too long but like there's obviously because it takes ages to travel between planets and there's obviously a while because it is space travel where you're traveling towards the planet and it doesn't seem to be getting any closer mm. but that's again that's just to do with celestial bodies and stuff like that but um i imagine that there's some background loading going on there when it oh, detects yeah. you're making a beeline yeah. for that planet so i imagine that the ps4k is going to maybe reduce travel times because you don't need to you know what i mean you don't need to it's going to be a lot like for that um where you had differences between the ps3 and the ps4 like for example the nemesis system in shadows of mordor which is non-existent yeah. in the ps3 i version. don't i i reckon you're going to find they even said within games that exist that run on both there's not going to be different features it's literally going to be the same disc and the same stuff that downloads no that but i just mean in terms of the um as you said, like the algorithms and what they can actually put in there, like you're gonna. Oh, yeah, find... I reckon it's it's literally just detail. Like I, 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 from what they have said, there's not even going to be different mechanics. Like the games aren't going to run any differently. It's going to be the same patches, the same thing. It's just going to be able to render things better and in more detail. Oh, I will say, like you know the way like you play games on PS4 or Xbox One, and occasionally when too much is happening, frame rates drop and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So it's going to be able to stably maintain like whatever frame rate these people want to run on. You've also got to bear in mind that another thing that's working in favor of what I believe to be the case that there's only going to be very superficial difference is is because to not have that. Is, is an awful act of presumption on the part of Sony and Microsoft to assume developers will be just delighted to make two SKUs for the same fucking platform. Mm. Well, because why? Especially when how many people are going to buy the PS4K and the PS4 Neo? Yeah. Or not the, the, the Xbox One Scorpio? It's not going to happen. Like, developers who have the time and have the resources are going to make their game look prettier on PS4 Neo. Because that's not too much of a hassle. But if you're talking about the difference, like you said, of, like, a Nemesis system being in one and not being on the other, makes no sense. Because at a certain point, then, you're splitting your your resources. Because you're getting one team to work on the PS4 SKU and one team to work on the Neo SKU. And that makes no sense because I imagine developers are fucking relieved as anybody that the PS3 and the Xbox 360 SKUs of things now at this point aren't so much differences as they are scaling them down and stripping out features. Yeah. You know? 
Um, that's that's what I reckon. I reckon like because when news originally broke that Sony were working on this, there was initial initial massive kickback before Sony came out and put their messaging on it that they weren't changing anything. There was initial kickback behind the scenes from a lot of developers that were saying, "Are we fuck making?" Like, are we like think about something like um, a Call of Duty or an Assassin's Creed or a FIFA that has such a short development cycle? They can't. They, they physically can't. But, like, there's no way in like FIFA in particular has a nine month development cycle. There is no way in nine months they are making two. I think the thing with me, what I, I still can't wrap my head around, is the the point of this solely for the purpose. There's but that's because but like, we're not the people this is for. That's yeah. why, like, I can't yeah. wrap my head around it either. It seems dumb. Yeah. Like, I'm cool with, um, like, say the Xbox One Slim. I'm cool with that idea. I'm not rushing out to buy it myself unless my Xbox One. No, breaks. but I mean, we've been doing that for years now. Yeah, yeah. But I like the, the idea version. that every so often you redesign the console in a way that looks prettier. And in the case of the Xbox One Slim, apparently is more stable in performance. That's, that's fine. fine. That's that's fine. that's fine. Yeah. But what we're getting into the age of now is what they've borrowed from the mobile gaming sector and the PC gaming sector isn't necessarily the idea that you have to wholesale replace everything every 18 months. But the idea that there are two tiers of product. Like, for instance, there are... It's like the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6S. Or yeah, yeah. There are, like, there are Samsung. Like, I have a Samsung S6. There are also Samsung Minis, right? Ostensibly the same phone. All the same stuff works on them. Just the performance and the memory yeah. and the resolution you can get off the S6 is better than an S Mini, okay? That's the way I'm looking at it. You can still, like download angry birds on both you know what i mean you can still use your twitters and all that sort of stuff on both that's the way like it is going to be the boutique option because the other thing as well is 4k tvs aren't exactly in every home we are getting to the point of 4k resolution where 4k tvs are starting to come down into a reasonable price range for people buying a big tv for their living room mm-hmm. But it's going to be like the way one of the selling points for the PS3 was that it had a Blu-ray player. It's going to be, well, like, you might as well get the Blu-ray player that where you can play stuff in 4K. You know, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be for the resolution nerds or for, again, the, the mothers who come in at Christmas and don't know the difference and just see the newest PS4 and pick that one up. You know, because it will still support HDMI. Yeah, yeah, I, I get standard. That. But yeah, yeah I, that's I, that's I what still... that's what's going to be for. It is the it is the boutique version of the console. It's like the difference between say getting um like a standard like laptop and a, like a more expensive laptop that just has like better mm. like slightly better performance on it. All the same programs will still work. It's just one is more a better performer. It is just that is what they're borrowing from the wider tech sector. Um, as far as I can tell now look they could have completely changed their messaging and this is the last thing I'm going to say because we, we do need to move on um, they could have changed their message entirely like I could come out uh, September 7th I could have a lot of egg on my face because they might decide you know what we'll fucking go with this as a slightly separate platform and have PS4K exclusives or have completely different skews of games because maybe the developers warm to it eventually but to me the smart decision for the market is to introduce this as a boutique console. And then if you want to start forcing people onto it, what you do is you slow down production of the non-4K PS4s. 
So you're basically rolling on to whenever anyone buys one within two years of release, it is a PS4K. That's what you do. Um, that's that's the way I would do it. Well, we'll see what because as well the the other rumor that the other rumor that came out is that they're still also working on a PS4 Slim. Yeah. So like it would make if if they were trying to permanently move us off onto a different and as well it's so early in the console cycle to be moving us off onto a different console altogether. And the messaging on it would be all wrong if it comes out as a PS4K. It should be called a PlayStation Five if they yeah. if it's a different platform. It should be called a PlayStation Five. Anyway. Something very quick. Persona 5. Yeah, 14th of February release in Europe. Uh, Europe and America. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it is being developed in America by Atlas, uh, this version of it. It's out at Christmas, I think, in... There, thereabouts. I in, still have Persona 4 Japan. Golden on the PS Vita. I should play that. Yeah, that is a meaty game. Yeah. Uh, I think about 100 hours to fully complete. I don't know what the critical path is, and I'm a few hours into it. It's good that pers- those Persona games have a significant audience, um, so people will be very happy that Persona 5 is the first new-numbered Persona in a generation. Because Persona 4, the original one, came out a long, long time ago. How long ago? Because we've been on different variations of Persona 4. Oh, so course, Persona yeah, 4 yeah, Golden, so, Persona 4 yeah, Dancing yeah. All Night, all, all that sort of stuff. Games. Yeah. Um, so... That's coming out Valentine's Day, so this year everybody had a, a lovely romantic Valentine's Day going to see Deadpool. All the nerds next year are going to have a romantic Valentine's Day <laughs> playing a meaty JRPG. Good for them. Uh, no Man's Sky had a very big day one patch. Uh, not even close to the biggest patch I've ever seen. People are blowing up about this patch. I, I think it's only the, patch is the, game, the game itself is only 3.69 gigabytes. Yeah, and so... it's, it's an 800 meg patch. Yeah, so in comparison, um, that's quite big. So like, yeah, in comparison, but like the, the ones I put it in perspective with is like um, the day one patch for Halo, the Master Chief Collection, which was a remake of four games that already came out was nine gigs. <sighs> I, I think when we say big, maybe it shouldn't be in terms of the actual size of the patch itself, but in terms of the content. And this has become, uh, there's, there's been a whole thing over the last day or two about this in terms of the usual argument you get, and this has been going on since uh, Xbox One announced that it would be always online that you had to be, and they've all yeah. went, well, soldiers don't have the internet, some people don't have strong internet connections. And there are two sides to that argument, but I, I really thought I'm at this point now, it's like, if you do not have internet capabilities, just buy a PS2. Yeah. There are plenty of good games yeah. in there. Because you, at some point, but you're, then, you're like, going to have to come a lot join of games, us. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, a lot of games as well, um, without their day one patches, usually the stuff that's fucked up that requires a day one patch has to do with online functionality anyway. So if you don't have internet a lot of the time, like that, uh, do you know what a lot of that day one patch for Halo was? Was that the entirety of the multiplayer wasn't in it? Was, it was completely yeah, yeah. And obviously, and then when it did drop, it was on fire. And obviously, there is stuff like Street Fighter Five, where that is not even <laughs> half a game, you know. Yeah. So yes, it, what, there are some circumstances yeah. where it's completely bullshit what developers are doing. Yeah. Still, with that said, it is 2016, and I'm I'm kind of contradicting myself here because I'm saying people are going to have to come on board. Where I'm really still opposed to the but whole PS4K right? thing because yeah. that's utter nonsense at the yeah. moment. That's for like five years. Um, the the thing about day one patches for me is that sometimes it's kind of annoying because with some developers you can tell that it is um, when it's a huge and I mean a huge patch like several gigs of a patch. It's like these fuckers didn't want to miss out on the money by delaying the game anymore, right? With 
certain ones and I think I want to think that that No Man's Sky is the case for this um, because obviously they showed last month they have no problem delaying the game at the last minute because no. the game was two weeks away from release and they delayed it by a month mm. so <clears throat> they seem to have no problem delaying it um, what the patch on that says to me is that they just kind of even when the game went gold they were actively trying to fix things and there are of course certain things that only when people who get leaked copies of the game start playing it or when people start streaming it or when they're heavily testing it and when it's under stress testing that you can't figure out about a game and I would much <clears throat> I would much rather the game comes out in the day one patch is already on the disc that you don't have to bother with a day one patch but on the other side of things I would much rather a day one patch than having to play a game that needs a day one patch that doesn't have one yeah and and then there were people complaining as well because uh, when when you don't have a day one patch that addresses a lot of the performance problems pre-release you end up with people's faces disappearing on Assassin's Creed games <laughs> or boats disappearing into the sky or yeah um, there were people complaining as well that uh, people that were playing it prior to the day one patch they would have to basically start the game again to see the effects of the day one patch well that's your fault for playing the game before the game is released so yeah, you don't get any the, sympathy that's sympathy the whole thing about breaking street dates is that it shouldn't happen exactly I've, I've literally no sympathy no, for those no, people not at all, not at especially all. the ones who rush to the internet and try and uh, ruin it for other people by spoiling it yeah um, uh, like some of them who are genuine and like your man who we talked about uh, who had the reddit thread where he played it before a lot of people mm-hmm. um I don't feel like he kind of did a justification for it where he's kind of like well look I'm someone with the means that he was able to pay an extortionate amount of money to get a copy of that the broke street day and I don't have as much a problem with that but this is the thing you gotta like if you're playing a, and it's accepted practice within video games that if you play something pre-release or you play a beta of something your progress won't carry over yeah so, and that's the that's the risk reward getting to play something before release. Pretty much, uh, some of the elements of this patch were uh, planet rotation, terrain generation, ship diversity, inventory was increased, uh, trading is deeper. Uh, you can yeah. feed the animals. Basically, yeah, it, it's it's all going to be stuff that you pretty much going forward. These are the kind of patches of uh, the patch notes. It's just going to be this. Yeah, basically, it doesn't. Uh, nothing about the patch puts in stuff that wasn't there at all beforehand. It adds detail yeah. and. Uh, Mechanics to things that already existed. Yeah, uh, which is what well, you want. Like, actually, again, what... well, the free paths that wasn't in post the patch. So that's no, but that was cool. always planned to come in so that if it broke street date, that no one would see this stuff before it came out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that I'm fine with because mm-hmm. that is a strategy to stop fuckers, <laughs> <laughs> and I am very much anti fuckers. Yeah. Okay, so uh, next up, uh, Pokemon Go made a lot of coin. Pokemon Go, the backlash game of the summer. Pokemon Go has shattered. This is from Eurogamer. Which I have utterly stopped playing as well. Yeah? Yeah. I just... Yeah. You, you kind of... I feel that... I played it, and like I said, I went down on last week's show as saying, it's not really a game. Yeah. You know, the, the actual gaminess to it doesn't really exist. So, uh, Pokemon Go has shattered the record for highest earning mobile game launch month by a country mile. Uh, as reported by analytics firm Center Tower, uh, Nian is it Niantic? Niantic. Yeah, Niantic's augmented reality phenomenon sets a new. Wait, world... sorry, Niantic. Niantic uh, set a record of grossing over two hundred million dollars in worldwide net revenue in its first month and a day. Comparatively, the previous record holder Clash Royale made about one hundred twenty million. While behind that was Candy Crush Saga with twenty five million dollars. Huh. That game is making a hella bank. 
I'm very curious to see what the drop-off is going to be like over the next couple of months. I want to see what their active users are like now. Yeah, just to because see Because it was on par with be. Snapchat and had gone past Twitter for yeah. active users. I don't think it's going to hold that. No, but th- these games never do. They no. never sustain no. on mobile. That's the thing. Now... Mobile is inherently a very disposable yeah, kind of culture. I'm, I'm curious to know what its retention rate would have been if the service had held up. Uh, that if they hadn't gotten rid of the the three, the three step thing. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, they, I feel like they are uh, taking steps to try and address that in some way. Like I imagine they're going to keep updating that very much in the same uh, manner of No Man's Sky. There's going to be a lot of updates that over the next. Six well, months it would so. it would need to to keep relevant. Um, Moving on, um, Hitman Episode 4 drops next week, yep. uh, August 16th. Uh, Bangkok. Yep. Haven't seen the trailer for it yet, but uh, you can guarantee there'll be another ed- a couple of episodes of Shitman coming up because we're going to have to figure out how to get past Marrakesh before we can play Would Bangkok. Would you like to know the uh, prime objective of this mission? Do tell me. Uh, the latest mission will see our bald-headed anti-hero take out an aspiring indie band frontman and his rich family's lawyer. Oh, you're going to love this one. Oh, boy. I fucking hope it's like the 1975. I still, again, second week in a row, I'm going to voice this. Absolutely disgusted that I missed being able to assassinate Gary Busey. Well, we can't have everything. Uh, uh, I was going to say, uh, there's a grand hotel, uh, there's a vast river, um, apparently there are new opportunities, disguises, and 65 challenges to unlock fresh game weapons. These maps and these episodes have been incredibly detailed. Fifth episode is in the US, and the finale will be in Japan. Hmm. And also, they've announced. I think that they've got another two seasons of Hitman coming after. Excellent. Yeah, I'm. I'm full on. Like this is um, in my. I have a document where I'm tracking my game of the year progress. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take some work to shift uh, Hitman off my shortlist. Well, I tell you what. I'm uh, not saying it'll win, but I think definitely. And like, especially for the shit it got building up to release, I think the episodic model has worked perfectly. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, cheap plug, I dropped uh, the other day my top 10 games of this generation so far, and I put Hitman in there, and it's not even a game I've played. I've only watched <laughs> you. You've watched me play it, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I can't, I can't, I can't not have it in there for what yeah. that game does. And uh, just a sneak preview, might be online. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Would you be shocked to learn, Mark, that a Telltale game has performance issues? Well, it's not even just that. It's the fact that it's Batman. Yeah, and then it... Because... Would you be shocked by either of these headlines? Telltale game has performance issues, or Batman game on PC has performance issues. Now, like, anyone that was living under the rock, Arkham Knight last year was (laughs) so bad... They've literally just washed their hands of it. So bad that they took the fucking game off of Steam to fix it, put it back up and, and just went was... no they put it back up and went can't fix it yeah <laughs> just like do you know at a certain point I'm just like ah, fair play now but like they just did they clearly don't give a fuck for a triple A developer and yeah. publisher to do that that is a level of what the fuck yeah yeah amazing but yeah more um, more kind of and in... also by the way since I, I don't know what since last week's episode we, I don't think we've mentioned the headlines the Arkham Collection has been indefinitely delayed. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. It was supposed to be out a month ago. Was it? Yeah, it was supposed oh, to be out in June. Way out of track on that one. Yeah, yeah it was supposed to be out in June. Um, yeah, more in terms of things that you might be familiar with. Yes, Telltale uh, has some performance issues on PC, uh, bar the course of what usually happens with Telltale games. Uh, on console, like on PS4, that game was working just fine. Yeah, well, I mean... Which is saying something, because they don't always... 
Game of Thrones had some violent texture pops. Oh, really? Oh, well, mercy. As of, and on Vita, those games can be hot trash. Yeah. As of the 4th of August, uh, they have released a patch for PC that should in some way go to improving the performance. Um, Telltale have said that many issues reported by players to do with the game running on integrated graphics card rather than dedicated or the result of out-of-date drivers. Uh, then the new patch automatically do- defaults the game to run on dedicated graphic cards and adds graphics settings to enable high performance textures or high quality textures. Uh, Telltale have advised players check their drivers are up to date before running the game. Uh, and Telltale will be out on Mac soon as well. Final piece of news for this week and my favourite piece of news because it's so close to my heart. I don't think, because the news about this being released happened when I was away and I don't think he talked about it on the show when I was gone. The Bioshock Collection is coming, or well, it's officially titled Bioshock of the Collection. That is a thing. Um, people said to me that I was being optimistic to assume that all three games were coming. Mm-hmm. People thought, okay, it's going to be Bioshock 1 and 2. It'll be like the Rapture Collection on PS3. Yeah. Um, I said, no, it's got, it's got to be all three. And it is. It's all three games and all the single-player DLC with them. So you get Minerva's Den with Bioshock 2. I can't remember what the DLC for Bioshock 1 was. And you get uh, Burial at Sea with... Uh, the very excellent I will say very let's see with uh, Bioshock Infinite all three games are coming I believe it's September 13th and in addition to that we have our first trailer that dropped today August 11th uh, or yesterday it might have been August 10th it was yeah August 10th sorry Uh, dropped the first trailer that gives you a look at the new up-resed Rapture now it's not it's not gameplay but it is in-engine and fucking hell yeah uh, look they, at the... uh, they, it, it seems like it, it, if it's not too dissimilar from from kind of you know I, I, I can usually gauge how close to the final um, product an in-engine trailer will be and it, it seems as if they've actually gone in and, and it would make sense because we've heard about this game for so long like over a year we've heard that this this collection was coming yeah. and you're thinking what's taking so long well it does seem like someone I'm assuming it's like 2K Marin or one of those studios they outsource these projects to S- someone has come in and taken great care to uh, make this game look like it belongs on PS4 Xbox One um, did you, have you seen the trailer what I have seen the trailer I was a little bit surprised because um, also by it... the way they, they obviously I don't know if you've listened to the trailer but the trailer has Andrew Ryan's famous monologue yeah, yeah. at the start and like chills but it's um, the video was only released in 720 um, yeah. so I'm thinking and it looks damn pretty even in 720 yeah even in 720 so like it made me just it's like can, can we I, I'm not the kind of resolution haul that some people are but it's like can we get a 1080 trailer can I kind of see this you're running at 60 frames yeah, yeah I look um I would probably get this once I'm in a position where I can buy it. Um, I, I, no, I am getting this. I, really? I have no objection to going back to Rapture and playing through those first two Bioshock games. I wouldn't even, even if they hadn't touched it up that much, I wouldn't really care. <laughs> you are a fan of Bioshock. Yeah. yeah. Particularly Bioshock Infinite, but yeah. Well, everyone makes mistakes. So. Yeah, and you sure do. <laughs> boy, really... Oh wait, no, no, do it again, do it again, do it again. No. No, do it again. No, Go no. on, say everyone makes mistakes. Say it. Nope. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, well, the final act of Bioshock 1 was quite a mistake. Oh, he's done it. He's done it. Alright, well done. Game should have ended with that twist. I'll say it. I said it before, I'll say it again. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's coming, which we all knew about anyway. Um, that's that's, the, that's, that's our news wrapped up. So now we're going to move on to the book club for this week. 
Mark is going to take the helm as we talk about Castlevania Symphony of the Night. What is a man? Just a miserable pile of secrets. Yes. It's blood. that game. Blood. Bits of sick. Castlevania Symphony of the Night, uh, also known as a Japanese name that I'm not going to pronounce. Uh, oh, Devil's Castle Dracula X, Nocturne in the Moonlight, is a platform adventure action role-playing game developed and published by Konami before they completely lost their fucking minds back in 1997 for the PlayStation uh, and was also released on a couple of other uh, platforms as well. It is the sequel to Castlevania, Rondo of Blood. Castlevania has some really good fucking uh, titles for their games. Uh, and features Dracula's uh, son, Alucard, as the protagonist. It makes it marks a break from previous games in the series, which are action platformers, as the game features more emphasis on exploration, non-linear level design, and RPG elements. Its initial commercial success was limited, uh, particularly in the United States, where it was not strongly publicised, uh, but it was critically praised, gained sales through word of mouth, and eventually became a hit. It has since been re-released on several gaming consoles and is now considered a sleeper hit, a cult classic, and one of the best video games ever made. Now, this is going to be an interesting one for us in our book club series because um, it's always a little bit awkward when one of us picks a game that the other hasn't played. I yeah, I played at the time and I had intention of playing the emulated version that you would be able to drudge up for me only for the fact that uh, I have uh, been circling the drain of the mortal coil all week with this flu. Yeah, um, but it's also always interesting when one of us picks a game that we didn't play around the time of its release. Yeah, uh, as I only actually properly played and finished Symphony of Night for the first time about two weeks ago. I have played it before, but it was a game that I never finished, mm. um, and but I had the time available, so you know, there's been a few games I've gone back to. And reading up about it, I didn't really realise or appreciate <coughs> the um, impact that the game had and the uh, kind of the critical reception it got. Well, it's got ninety three percent on. Uh, Metacritic. Yeah, I don't realise it was a game that people held in high regard as like one of the best kind of PlayStation games because in my mind I have the PlayStation games that I think of, but Castlevania is not on there, and I think partially it's because I don't really think of Castlevania as a PlayStation um, a series. That think it's Castlevania sixty four. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. When I think of that generation, I think of Castlevania sixty four because that's the one that I remember. Well, that's the console I had. Well, I mean, I had both. But that was the one, for some reason, that is the one that I think to first. Probably because it's so legendarily bad. But that is actually a key thing to talk about here. You know, 1997 is around that period where we're still making that kind of awkward transition to 3D. Some games got it right. Mario 64, looking at you. And then there are just some games that just don't translate to 3D. Just doesn't work. And I think Castlevania is one of those kinds of games. Um, even like some of the newer Castlevania games just feel like kind of bog standard action 3D hack and slash type games that don't really have the spirit of Castlevania now Symphony of the Night is the 
it's where we get that name Metroidvania from. Which I think in some ways is a little bit unfair to Metroid because Metroid was doing it before Castlevania. Yeah. You know? And I do think, and I don't want to make this too much of a comparison piece as like we did the other week with the Division and uh, Destiny, but you do kind of hold the two games up, both Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night, as the kind of flag bearers of the Metroidvania type game. I do feel that Super Metroid is the better of the two games in yeah, I have always, trying to do. I, I have always uh, leaned more towards um, Metroid than I have Castlevania. Yeah. It's just more towards me. Like I, I more kind of uh, buy into sci-fi aesthetic than gothic aesthetic. Which is a, a, a that's a, a subjective tonal kind of taste. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I mean. It's entirely that. I know, yeah, yeah. But I do think that mechanically Super Metroid has a few things going for it that Symphony Night doesn't do as well and one of the things uh, and this was an issue that it actually has on a couple of other games the original castlevania uh is a is a classic of the nes it's one of the best games on the nes and like if you play the original castlevania or super castlevania 4 which is a great name and then you play symphony of the night you do realize that you've got two totally different types of games going on here the uh, original couple of well no the original castlevania and castlevania 4 are uh, side-scrolling platformers with no real kind of RPG elements. You know, it's you are on this side of the screen, you want to get to that side of the screen, mm-hmm. and you just have to take out what's along the way. The original Castlevania is very tactical. Uh, you know, you really have to kind of plan where, you're, uh, where you need to be on the screen at any given time because the enemies are placed in a particular way. And your whip has a little bit of a delay as well, so you really have to plan for every attack that you're going to do. Now, Symphony of the Night doesn't really have that because it has more of the RPG elements. So the idea here is, you know... Again, something at the time that would not have made endeared the series to me at all. I'm very much a latter-day buying-into-RPG elements sort of guy. Yeah. Because I think the culture in games has shifted that a lot of games feature RPG elements, so you're just going to have to like it or lump it. Yeah, and so, you know, it has backtracking, which is one of the things that the original Castlevania doesn't have. And and something that uh, I think kind of speaks to the links between metroid and vania you know the the idea of backtracking and things kind of like in metroid games where you can you get a weapon that unlocks an air or something in a room you were in way earlier on Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing yeah and you know they both have that but if you're going to have backtracking you have to make the the levels that you create interesting but you also have to make the enemies you create interesting as well but it has to be done in a way where it's not a pain every single time you go back into that it's room not, yeah it's not like you you grab the thing that gets you into the area you need to backtrack to and then you kind of do a deep kind of <sighs> and then just let's just get through this because the original castlevania that is one entire game like that but you yeah. only have to do everything once and you really find with uh super um Super Castlevania with Symphony of the Night. There are certain rooms that visually, like uh, like there's the the library area, the clock tower area. You know, these all these rooms and parts of the castle have their really kind of distinctive feel, uh, distinctive feel to them. But the actual enemy placement is a little bit boring. Like there's one really long corridor with um, a couple of uh, giant uh, sort of man-eating plants. And these weird fucking um, monster creatures that have like a woman for a tail or half a woman on the tail. Mm. And visually they're like, wow, that's really interesting. But in terms of like their AI and how you defeat them, you just whip them three times and they're dead. 
you yeah. know it's it's that kind of mindless slog it's not like say the the old um something that that you have a great passion for the Mega Man games where there's a certain dynamic to each boss that like makes it like the way you figure out by playing Mega Man games is a certain order you need to play it in because it makes bosses easier if you have weapon x yeah and so that's one of its downfalls that i feel is that um traversing and again using the uh, comparison against super metroid like both games have uh, a very interesting unique world that you need to traverse but just some of the things in that world itself are not as interesting now where uh, symphony of the night (coughs) does kind of earn points is the fact that you know there is the sort of secret endings of the game which is where the entire castle is flipped on its head and you play through the entire castle again yeah and now so you're doing everything upside down the enemy is a lot harder um and that kind of blew my mind because you know it's you're creating a world where or the, the the designers of the game were creating a world that you know they had to be able to make that you would play inverted you know, it's fair enough doing something like that in Majora's Mask with the Stone Tower Temple, where it's just this kind of confined area. Here, you've got the entire castle. And by the way, it has to be said, Dracula, he went a bit mental with the interior design or the, the design of his castle. He's like a bit ostentatious. It's like, no, I don't just want like a room here and a room there. Like, if you look at the actual map of uh, the castle, I mean, considering. How many rooms can I fit in the land I have? Yeah, and it has a whole fucking catacombs underneath as well. This is one of the other problems with the game. With um, Super Metroid, I think about ninety-five to about ninety-five percent of everything you do in Super, uh, Super Metroid has a point. You know, if you explore a room, there is a point to explore in that room, and you're rewarded for your exploration. Uh, whether it's just a pack of missiles or it's um, slightly higher jumping boots, whatever. It all serves a purpose. There is about 20 to 30% of... Uh, it's a rough guess on the percentage, but there is a, a significant portion of Symphony of the Night that is utterly pointless to explore. It's really, the, again, the, the level design and what you're actually exploring is very unique and um, there are some sort of puzzle mechanics involved, but you're not rewarded for that exploration. And that's a really big problem for a game like this. And I think that's... Uh, I haven't played much of some of the, the latter Castlevania games, which pretty much use Symphony of the Night as the template for what they do now. I'd be curious to know if they have uh, rectified that issue, because I really noticed it playing through. Um, because I got to the end of the Catacombs, which is, you know, towards the sort of... Like, the game is split in half, basically. Yeah. And towards the end of the first half, you do all of this... And then there's no reward for it. And you're like, well, what was the point of me doing that exactly? And that's one of the worst things you can have for a game. Certainly of this kind of nature. You know, if you're, if you're a game which is a significant portion is about exploration, I want to know why I'm exploring this. I want a reward for exploring this. So that's a couple of the negatives out of the way. For the positives, um, there's a wide uh, array of weapons and uh, to armor. You know, you kind of standard RPG tropes. Um, but you really feel... The you really feel that you are progressing and upgrading your character when you go through like earlier parts of the game and you've got this kind of souped up weapon now and you're just fucking slaying everything where before you was whipping them like three or four times now you're just going through and smashing them in one go that's always a very satisfying thing mm-hmm. uh, and I feel Symphony of the Night does that very well uh, the, the game looks incredible like even now um, in 2016 I was playing 
the straight emulator of the PlayStation version, it still looks really, really good. Like some of the uh, design, uh, some of the character models, uh, you know, it's... One Which, the... I, in fairness, like, is definitely something um, that cannot be said of a lot of games from that period of time no that they look they still look good now but that's also it's a testament because when you think about what looks ugly in 1997 it's a lot of 3d games where you know 2d games do tend to hold the test of time if you go back and play fucking super metroid which is yeah. what 92 93 yeah, something like that yeah that still looks incredible 2d games and cell shaded games yes yes um now some of the ports the the, the sega saturn port of uh castlevania night Castlevania of the Night is a little bit ropey, but that's more to do with the Sega Saturn more than anything else. Um, Soundtrack-wise, you know, it, it's, it's strong. Uh, it has some very memorable themes. Now, the original version of Symphony of the Night has some legendarily bad voice acting and scripting. The, again, that was something that was a hallmark of that era. Uh, I still think the high-water mark is probably Resident Evil. Yes, well, the, here's the thing. This is what the two have in common. Both Japanese developers... You know, getting a translation across uh, to the, the states or to Europe. Now, the uh, the not remakes, but the versions that they ported over to. I think it was the 360, and I can't remember the other version as well. Uh, they actually redid the scripting and redid the uh, vocal recording, which is not something that you always get. I don't know. Um, I presume the Resident Evil remake had that as well. Surely, I'm not sure. I, I, I would the, hope... The GameCube one, not the, the PS4 one. Um, I, I have one. Yeah, well, the game the, I know for a fact the PS4 one was only an HD up-res of okay. the GameCube one. So it's whether they, but in the few years between Resident Evil and the GameCube Resident Evil, decided to completely redo the voice acting. Hmm. Need to go back and see about I'll, that. While you're talking, I'll have a look. Okay. Just for, just for the sake of it. But yeah, so they they redid some of that, and it actually does lose a little bit of its charm. It's like if they redid the dialogue for The Room and tried to make that a, a serious uh, kind of black comedy. <laughs> it it would lose all of the charm of what makes that film. Yeah. Um, other than that, like, I do feel having played it, like I'm glad I've played it, I do think it's definitely, it holds up as one of the better games on the, PS, uh, the PS1. I do feel that it, it, it seems a little bit <laughs> unjust. Now, I should say, by, by the way, that you know we do these book club features to work classic games. It doesn't necessarily mean we think these are the best games of that generation or these are our favourite games, but they are important games for that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think Symphony Night is an important game for the PS1. Uh, it proved that you know 2D games of the time were still important and still held a place. I do definitely think, though, that the, the Metroidvania name... It's still, it's the Metroid part which is kind of crucial because that was what came first and Castlevania kind of just took that mechanic and applied it to its own series. And I'm glad they did that because I do feel that there's, you know, they went as far as they could up until um, Castlevania 4. I never played Rondo of Blood so I don't know how that holds up. Um, yeah, it says here as part of, sorry to interrupt you, right. uh, the GameCube remake of Resident Evil uh, hired new voice actors and rewrote the game script to make the plot more convincing. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine there is stuff in there that is from the old one, but apparently they revised it, they add new, added new subplots and everything like that. I've never played the GameCube version. Okay. I have the PS4 version of the GameCube version uh, ready for perhaps um, a playthrough at a topical time of year. Sounds like a plan. But, uh, go on. 
Um, so yeah, uh, the game has been re-released a couple of times. It is there's a, an Xbox 360 port that's on the uh, Live Arcade. There was a uh, Konami Volume One which was released alongside Super Contra and Frogger. Uh, I think there's a PSP version. I don't know if there's a Vita version. Uh, and then there's a couple of uh, puzzle games which are based on it for the iOS, which is a little bit weird. And one for the Game.com handheld console, which is a really bad handheld <laughs> that console. That's an obscure one. Yeah. Um, I do think that it's... The key kind of legacy I feel for that game is that it came along, as I said, at a time where everyone was going, oh my god, 3D games. And Konami went, oh, fuck you. Look, here is a 2D game which still holds the test of time, certainly if you compare it against Castlevania 64, which came out about the same time, and is fucking atrocious. And it's, for me, the key thing about it, I would say, is that sometimes the core material that you're working with, you can find a way to implement it into um, the, the time that it's in. Doesn't always mean that you have to completely rewire how the game is. So, for example, Sonic does not work as a 3D game. Never has, never worked. Apart from the first level of Sonic Adventure. Apart from that, which is more just a good tech demo more than anything else. Go, there's a whale. Awesome. Castlevania. Castlevania, I feel, does not work as a 3D game because when you really start to tangle with what makes Castlevania, you're making another game and it might as well be something else. And I don't feel like any of the, the kind of newer Castlevania games really hold up that well uh there's a couple of uh, game boy advance curse of any games which take the symphony of the night mechanic and they hold up pretty well and i like them uh i know people kind of clamoring for a more traditional uh original castlevania uh, game which uh, i mean konami are out of their minds at the moment so we probably won't get that but i definitely think that if you never played it first time round, um it is out there in a couple of ways you should get your hands on it and and just kind of see what konami were doing in 1987 and see how uh, a game of this nature has kind of spawned so many uh, sequels now at this point um and yeah i i think it i think it does hold up um a lot better than i thought it was going to going in i wasn't too sure what to expect uh, I, 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 other than I didn't think it would hold up so well I thought it would maybe have kind of aged quite badly but no I mean other than the voice acting but that's part of his charm so that is uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night indeed um, which leaves one little bit of business before I start the wrap up and that is to name my game it is my turn for next week's programme and Mark I'm going to follow a particular theme here okay. I like what you've done we're doing the spooky times yep so I'm going to follow that theme and next week, and it's one of the big ones that was on my list of we're doing this on the podcast, and uh, the the trend of having to think of your fave games on across social media that was going this week made me think about this as a big one that we haven't done yet. Next week on the show, we are going to play what might well be my favourite game of all time, and what I believe, and you can fight me if you disagree, is the greatest horror game ever made. Okay, I think I know what this is. Yes, that's right, everyone. Banjo-Tooie. No. <laughs> Silent Hill 2. Okay, Silent Hill 2. Silent Hill 2, which, by the way, I have the original PS2 version of, and we do have a slim PS2 in the house, so we can actually play the original version. If you can't get your hands on the original version, if you'd like to play these things along with us when we do this, um, there is a port for PS3, 
it's not great because um, I'll talk about it next week because one of the things they do is because they can render further in the distance on PS3 they got rid of a lot of the fog which, which was is... part of the atmosphere look at us giving props to Konami by the way what's going on here no no I'm, I'm giving them props by saying they made one of the greatest horror games of all time <laughs> but then I'm, then I'm also saying fuck Konami yeah. because all they had to do was simply port it and make things look sharper, sharper and they fucked it so Silent Hill 2 our first entry in the Silent Games uh, Silent Hill series to go into well I was going to say the, there's only really a few to pick from I 2, feel. 3 and 4 well I think I think the original has its well, place it's fine it's a bit fucking crazy bananas but it has its place oh, it, 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 I, Remember, I wouldn't the book club is for pivotal games yeah but I, I wouldn't necessarily say that and we're going to have an argument then about number four because there's no fucking way four is on this list. No, but like four, two, three, and four are kind of landmark games within the horror genre. Whatever your individual taste about the three of them may be, they pretty much have the three of those games, particularly Silent Hill 2, but all three of them have pretty much informed how the entire genre is made now. There's only one form of media that it, I classify as the room that is worth talking about. It broke and reinvented the wheel, that, that franchise. Yeah. But whereas Silent Hill 1, I always think, was kind of an iteration on other games, it didn't know its own voice yet. That's always been my thing. But we'll get into it yeah, next week sure. on the show. So Silent Hill 2. It, it might well be. It's Jim Sterling's favourite game of all time. It certainly is. And it's certainly, like, it hovers around that top spot for me with Doom and a couple of others as yeah, my favourite yeah. game of all time. Um, and maybe getting to play it for the first time in about... I think I don't think I've done a playthrough of it in about three or four years. Okay. Um. So we'll we'll have fun with it this week. Yeah. I might, I might even throw the controller to you for a while. I I have played Silent Hill too. Oh, it's just that you you usually don't like the scary nighttime games. No, but <laughs> when it comes to games like that, I mean, I've I've played two. I well played all four of them. So, okay. Well, yeah. look, we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, so that's been another episode of Link to the Cast. Uh, we have a new content schedule that we're on our second week of. And we haven't fucked it yet. Um, apart from the fact that because I was sick this week we did something else for Link to the Cast Plays instead of uh, Beyond but we'll be right on everything will be properly up and running next week Um, our schedule every week is that on Mondays Mark does his show called Mark on Mondays he's doing a solo stream what are you doing at the moment Mark? Uh, I am currently doing Undertale Undertale so you can check with episode 2 it will be next week yes and I'll probably be talking about that game next week as well okay cool and we have episode 1 is already live on YouTube Uh, you'll see all this in the content roundup at the end of the week as well if you uh, if you want to go check it all out once on Tuesday we upload the previous week's book club or a classic book club from the past onto YouTube as a breakout segment and we also put an article up on the website this week Mark you talked about your 10 favourite games of this generation in Mm -hmm. no particular order yep um, next week will be mine uh-huh. uh, Wednesday is linked to the cast plays uh, this week we did No Man's Sky because again I was too sick to take the piss out of David Cage so we just did No Man's Sky which I was going to be playing anyway even if I was on my deathbed next week we start with Beyond Two Souls and I'm sure everyone is eager to see that Thursday is the day this podcast drops every single week as long as we can manage that um, Friday is my own solo series Friday plays last week I played Abzu which I was going to talk about on the podcast this week we ran a little long I'll talk about it next week if I have time um, but you can check my playthrough of that and my first impressions because I was playing literally for the first time as I record that stream for the next few weeks it's going to be my captain's log on No Man's Sky as my Friday plays uh, until presumably and I've said this multiple times on the show until um Bioshock comes out and I think my plan might then be to go 
visit Rapture for yeah. a while, uh, and then Columbia. Um, also, if you those are the days that that stuff gets posted on YouTube or on the website. But if you ever want to join our streams live, go follow us on Twitter. I'm about to give out the details of the Twitter and stuff like that. Follow us on Twitter. We will post a notification on there saying we're about to go live at one of our streams. So you can join us in the chat or whatever if you prefer the live thing to the taped thing. It's all up to you. Our content is there for you to consume however you want. We also have other streams that don't really happen as consistently because release schedules and stuff don't allow us to do that. We have quick plays. Whenever a new game comes out that we buy that's kind of topical and interesting, we get a quick play out there as quickly as we can both sit down together and have a look at it. We also have uh, things like our Shitmen uh, series, which, you know, when a new episode of Hitman drops, Hitman drops, uh, the two of us sit down and try to have a laugh as I... Uh, fail miserably at stealth or uh, succeed tremendously in concussing the population of an entire city with soup cans um, <clears throat> in terms of contacting us facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on twitter are the best places to see our content as it goes up uh, to keep up to date with your social uh, on your social media platform of choice individually on twitter Mark is at Lithium Project. I am at Dave Ryan IV and Brian, who we really need to get back on. Maybe we'll get him on for Silent Hill too, because if you can get he... him for No Man's Sky, uh, yeah, well that's true. That, yeah, you want to talk about how obsessed I am with that game? Ooh, it's a whole other level with him. Brian is at Cargan C A R G I N four one zero seven. Twitch TV forward slash Link to the Cast is where we stream from when we are recording our uh, Link to the Cast plays, our Friday plays, and our Mark on Mondays. Link to the cast.tumblr.com is our neglected Tumblr page that really at this point I think is only a way for people who are on Tumblr who follow us to check out when the podcast and goes live. And to make live. their fan fiction between me and you. Oh yeah, all that slash fiction. Man. Yeah. But I think Brian is making most of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, search on YouTube for Link to the Cast. We are presumably we are presumably uh, the, the one channel in there amongst a lot of Weakest Link videos. Uh, link to the cast.wordpress.com is the website it's where we post everything uh, including our weekly roundups our articles and where we post a show notes for every podcast you can email us make sure Mark doesn't feel lonely at link to the cast at gmail.com iTunes search for some link to the cast rate comment and subscribe improve our search engine optimization and of course soundcloud.com slash link dash to dash the dash cast that's where you can check us out uh, for this week's episode I have been Dave Ryan uh, the departed Mark Robinson has been here as well I'm here goodbye oh, he's returned bye everyone bye.